So today we are continuing in our journey through the book of Romans. We are on chapter six. We're going to be doing the second half of chapter six. And we started this morning during service with a confession of sin. And it was actually kind of like, kind of brutal. You know, some of the sins that Caleb took us through in terms of what it means to sin against God and some of the specifics about it. Because I think it's easy to talk about sin in vague terms. But once you talk about the specifics of it, especially what goes on inside of our head, it becomes like a different intensity. And so what I want to do today, because we're also going to do something different with our open mic sharing time. We're not going to do an open mic time. We're going to have kind of discussion in smaller groups. What I wanted to do is kind of prime that by asking you to find a neighbor. So you can find someone in groups of twos or three, let's say. Find a neighbor. Find someone else. I want you to discuss this question. And it only has one answer. And the, the question is, is a Christian a sinner or a saint? Okay. Is a Christian a sinner or a saint? Okay. And you get to pick one. You can't say both. Okay. You, you can't say both. You can't really say, I don't know. All right. So I want you to, with your partner, to talk about, is a Christian a sinner or a saint? And then you can also kind of explain why you think that's the case. So let me ask, Christian, you can raise your hand. Is a Christian a sinner? Anybody said sinner? Okay. So maybe like um, a third? Okay. Um, you can put your hands down. Saint. Okay. Two-thirds. Okay. Two-thirds. All right. So, you know, I'm going to say, because I think there is a, a right and wrong answer, I'm going to say the right answer is saint. Okay. It's saint. And why do I say that? Well, I know in the Catholic tradition, only certain people can become saints. You have to like meet some criteria. You have to do like two miracles, I think. Is it two? Anybody? You have to do like a certain amount of miracles to be considered a saint within the Catholic tradition. Okay. And then you have to have like, I think, I don't know if it's voted in. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know exactly how it works, but you have to meet um, a number of criteria that most people do not meet when it comes to sainthood. Okay, but I want you to notice that in the book of Romans, so you have your scripture journals, right? You have your scripture journals. Turn to the chapter one of Romans and notice that the introduction is kind of long, but read what it says in verse seven, okay? To all those in Rome, this is Romans 1, 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Okay, called to be saints. And you'll also notice that in many, not all of Paul's letters to churches, those are called epistles, he addresses his audience as saints. He calls them saints. And I don't think he's saying that because he, it's just nice to say. I think we should take seriously Paul's words, and this is scripture, this is the Holy Scripture, and that Paul is addressing them, and it's not just a label, but this is substantively who they are, that if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. That is what the Bible teaches. Now, you're going to ask the question, so um, I think Sarah asked me while we were you know, going, you know, what is, a, what is a saint, right? What is a saint? So we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to talk about what it means to be a saint, but I just want you to know that when it comes to that label— the way scripture describes it, the way Paul describes it, believers, followers of Jesus are considered saints. So if you're a Christian today, you are a saint. Okay, you're a saint. It doesn't mean you no longer sin because I know, I know I sin. I know I sin. And if we're, and we just prayed a prayer of confession about sin. So it doesn't mean you are impervious from sinning against God and doing things against God, but it does mean something is different about you. And we're going to be talking about what that means. Okay, so let's do Romans chapter 6. You can flip in your journal to chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 15 to 23. 
Okay, Romans 6, 15 to, to 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the reading of God's word today, and that is the passage we're going to be discussing. So we're going to go back to verse 15 and 16. And so what I want to first note, that this whole chapter, Paul is addressing counter-arguments that come from the end of chapter 5. Because at the end of chapter 5, what, uh, what Paul says is, if sin abounds this much, then grace abounds even more. So if you can sin this much, grace abounds even more than the sin. And I love that last week that was the poop sermon, and I love that Caleb kept the poop analogy alive today um, by you know, talking about confession of sin. And I know some of you guys were really sick of it and disgusted by it, but you will probably remember it. Okay, you will probably remember it. And so the idea here is that God's forgiveness can flush down any sin that we have. And let me, let me just review some of the concepts that we've been talking about um, in this passage um, through, through this um, through our series, and so I had some quotes that kind of go through those. Let me, let me read some of those off. Okay, so the first one is that, you know, in, in thinking about chapter five, God rewrites our most shameful moments through the lens of the cross, right? So this is what God does on our behalf. He rewrites the most shameful moments through the lens of the cross. And then the second is, I, I talked about this John Mayer song. I think that was last week, the John Mayer song. It's in the blood, um, and hereditary sin. So hereditary sin, the idea of that is it's not your fault, but it is your problem, right? It's not your fault, but it is your problem. And then the other concept in chapter 5 is that the children, children of Adam spread death, but believers in Jesus spread life. And so you never have to be that concerned that death will threaten you. Because as a follower of Jesus, when Jesus, once Jesus touches you through faith, you spread life. You are now, you, you, it's righteous contagion. Um, and then let me talk about the way to escape hereditary sin. The only way to escape hereditary sin is to die. That's the only way you get out. The only way you escape. And then the only way, therefore, to new life is through resurrection with Jesus. That's the only way. Because once you, let's say you have cancer, the only way you get healed from cancer is you need a new body. You need a new heart. You need a new, everything needs to be new. 
The way that you are made new as a Christian is to be resurrected with Jesus. And you do that by faith. And so, therefore, your, the Christian life is not about waste management. Okay, It's not about waste management. Because the grace of Jesus can flush away any crap you can produce, poop, excrement. But your life is not about minimizing or maximizing crap. You are not in the waste management business. And so that's where I think it's important. Like I just talked about recognizing soldiers who gave their lives, and I'll talk about parents. You know, we don't recognize soldiers because they didn't sin. We recognize soldiers because they made a sacrifice. We worship Jesus not just because he was absent of sin, because he, d he didn't produce any crap. We worship Jesus because he did the most righteous act by giving his life, by sacrificing his life on our behalf. So it's important we recognize when, when we see righteousness, what it means. It's not just the absence of evil. There's something good that's happening. And that's what this passage is talking about. That's what chapter 6 is talking about. You can, you can certainly sin, and God has an antidote for that in his son but you don't have a relationship with sin anymore. And that's what chapters one, that, that's what chapter six, the first 14 verses is about. Now, in chapter, um, in chapter six, in the first part of it, what it's saying is what then, can't we just uh, sin occasionally, right? It says um, in 15, what then, are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace, right? Now we have a different operating system. Why not just sin occasionally? But in verse 16, it says, Do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? And so the first thing that I want to note is, again, when it talks about sin, it can mean different things, right? Sin can mean different things. And we talked about it can mean behavior, but it also means almost like a disease. It's like the state of being that you're in. Are we to, like in the very beginning, in the first part of chapter six, is are we to remain in sin? Now, the other aspect of sin is it's also it is also behavior, right? But Paul's point is this, is that once you've received righteousness through him, you have a completely different life. The second thing I want you to note is that in verse 16, it starts to, it brings in this word that you're not supposed to say today, and that's master and slave. This whole master and slave imagery. In fact, I know, I recognize that among um, IT professionals, right? You can no longer use the tec technical term master versus slave. Okay, and I, I just want to note that the Bible has never been politically correct. It has never been politically correct. And so the fact that it's not today should not surprise any of you, and it will not be politically correct, and it'll always be countercultural. Okay, so if I, I acknowledge the offensiveness of what this is saying, and yet there's something about this master-slave language that is important for us to understand. And why is that? Well, I think our culture is interested in certain is interested in eradicating certain labels because they mean like a different status or different importance. But just because you get rid of the label doesn't mean you change the heart. So for instance, in the 1920s, India got rid of, at least officially, the caste system, which is a way of dividing people into groups of different classes, different social classes, right? And some of this is based on profession, some of it's based on tradition and also Hinduism. And yet just because India said officially, we've gotten rid of the label of caste, it doesn't mean it didn't exist in the mindset of people. And so what the Bible is always really good about is calling things like they are. And so when it says master-slave, it's talking about a real kind of status that happened in the ancient Near East where one could become the slave of another, 
Okay, you could become the slave of another person. And so it's talking about a reality. And so that's the principle of this chapter. The principle of this chapter is that everyone is a slave to something. You are a slave to something or someone. Everyone is a slave. And the way you think about it is you think about it this way. Everyone's heart is focused on something. People say, hey, just follow your heart. But your heart follows something. Your heart must follow something. Your heart serves something or someone. And so maybe, maybe you have some difficulty with this section because it seems so binary that you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. But recognize that is absolutely the model that Paul is saying. You actually can only serve two masters. You only serve sin or you only serve God. And so some of you might say, and you might talk to people on campus or you know, at San Jose State or coworkers and say, I don't, I don't serve God, I just serve myself. But in the context of what the Bible is saying, if you serve yourself, you are serving sin. That's what that means. If you, if you are the God of your life, you are serving sin. You are a slave of sin. And so what I want to take a minute is, um, is I just want to think about what are some other metaphors for us that make this idea of slavery to sin a little bit easier to understand because we do not practice slavery today. And so there's, it's difficult to kind of think of an analog of what um, slavery might look like for us today. And the language that I think might be helpful, and again, I, I'm going um, to kind of go with Paul that I'm going to talk about in terms of human limitations, but the language I might use is the language not of slavery, but for us today, I would think about the language of addiction. Okay, the language of addiction. So when you read this, instead of just seeing, you know, everyone is a slave to sin, you can almost think about it. Everyone is an addict to sin. Everyone is an addict to sin. And so I think one of the sharing questions that we're going to have later on during our, um, during our sharing time, again, this won't be open mic. It'll just be between, the two, between two or three people. And the reason we wanted to do that is I just want to give an opportunity, especially for introverts or those who are scared of um, public speaking, to be able to have a chance to be able to, to share. And so I think it's important to think about what are, what's a minor addiction you have? You know, we talk about we're all enslaved to something. What's a minor addiction that you have? Phones? That's almost like, a, I feel like that's like a major one. Yeah. I actually didn't intend for that to be answered. I love that you guys threw that out there. That was great. That was, you guys were super public about it. I love it. So let me just start. Let me just confess a minor addiction I have, and that is um, I, I like Latin pop dance music, okay? I have a minor addiction to Latin pop dance music, and part of it is because I have the musical taste of a, of a 15-year-old girl, okay? And I've had that for about 30 years. And so um, there's a song from, I think it's 2019, called La Boca. I, I am loving the song. And when I love a Latin pop song, I will listen to it like 10 to 12 times a day. Okay, 10 to 12 times a day. And the only person in my family who appreciates that is Abby. And it's pretty awesome because she'll, she'll share songs with me too. And then I'll add them to this playlist um, that just gets longer and longer. And then I'll play those songs over and over. And then sometimes I'll wonder, why did I even like, you'll listen to that song later on, you'll go, I can't believe, I can't believe I like this song. It's like kind of embarrassing, but I deal with it. You know, it's part of my minor addiction, and it's okay. And so I want you to think about it. What's your minor addiction? You can think about it to yourself. You don't have to say it. It could be coffee. I know boba in this church is a popular one. Um, Austin Jordan loves chicken sandwiches. Um, but it doesn't just have to be food or music. Okay, I know a number of years ago, um, it could be K-dramas. It could be Ted Lasso. It could be Last of Us. It could be beef. And then you have behavior. I like, I love to touch my hair. I try not to do that while I'm preaching, but I love to touch my hair. I love to fidget. 
Um, I love personal finance content. I know people who love checking Craigslist for used car deals. Um, Pokemon, I love, I know you, you talked about phones. We, you know, we all have some kind of minor addiction. Everyone's got something. Everyone's enslaved to something. And I want you to just think about that today because part of the, what this passage is talking about is what it means to be enslaved to something because everyone is. And so let's, let's ask ourselves, does the Bible support this kind of metaphor? Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And I just want to pause there because you just read that initially. You're like, what is that saying? <laughs> what is that saying? And so this, this is where I just want to note, it can be helpful to have different translations. It can be helpful in different translations because sometimes the Bible is not that clear. And for sure, Paul, you know, the master of the run-on sentence is not that clear. And so I actually like a translation called the New English Translation. You can find it online. It's called the Net Bible. And the great thing about the Net Bible is it gives you a bunch of notes. It's super nerdy. Um, it's got all these notes about how they made translation decisions. And so I want to note, if you're new to the Bible, it was not written in English. Okay, the, the Bible was not written in English. It was written, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. And so you have to make decisions when you're translating. Like, um, like if you're in, the th in theater and you say, hey, good luck to someone who's acting, that's actually the opposite of good luck, right? You need to say break a leg. But then how do you translate that? You know what I mean? How do you translate that in theater language in the way people understand? In basketball, you talk about talking trash. You know, you, you talk trash. But then how do you translate that into other languages, right? So you have to make decisions when you do that. And so the NET in Romans 6.17 says this, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. And so here's what I want to say about when you're a slave to sin. It's a pattern. Okay? It's a pattern. That means it's repeated. Okay? And that's why I use the word addict. Because when you're an addict, it's not a one-time thing. It's something that's repeated. It happens over and over. That's what pattern means. And it's not just that. It's not just that it's a pattern of behavior. It's also a mindset. It says you were entrusted to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You became obedient. So there's a whole thought process that goes with being an addict. Okay, there's a whole thought process. And last week I talked about Galatians as defining sin. And I noticed you, I, I pointed out a couple things. One of those things was the pattern itself. And then the two other ones was there's an emotionality to that pattern. Okay, there's emotions that drive it. It could be fear. Anxiety, I would say, is just almost like an offshoot of fear. There can be anger, and I've shared about my own struggles with anger. There could be some depression. Those are all the things that kind of drive that sin cycle, that kind of downward spiral. And then the last thing that I would say is an aspect of that pattern is that it has to do with your thoughts. There's these innermost thoughts that happen. I know for me, when I get into that sin cycle, especially with anger, there's only one way. I, I think there's only one way to get out of it. I have to get vengeance, okay? There's, I have to, I have to um, violently deal with it, aggressively deal with the object of my anger. I only feel like there's one option. When you get stuck in that tunnel vision, that's a good sign that you're in that kind of addict or slave to sin type of cycle. And that's what he's saying here. That's the teaching that you were entrusted to. And so I think, it's actually, I think it's actually helpful to have that metaphor from technology, the whole IT master-slave. Because in, master, in the whole master-slave, I think you have master programs and slave programs. Someone's going to correct me on this. But you have um, software that dictates to other software what it's supposed to do.
right? And what I, what's important about it is it's asymmetrical. The master goes one way to the slave, okay? It's telling the slave what to do. And so what, what that means is when you're a slave to sin, sometimes you're not fully conscious of what's going on. It's almost like hive mind type of thing. And I had a situation recently, so I, I want to go deeper, right? I want to go deeper into thinking about minor addiction um, to more major addictions that affect our lives. And this past week, uh, I think it was Wednesday, maybe it was Tuesday or Wednesday, Judy asked me, hey, Fred, what, what happened the other day? Why were you so cranky? And I just, I just stopped and I was like, wait, I was cranky? No, I wasn't cranky. You know, I, I had to stop myself because I actually had no idea what she was talking about. Because sometimes when you're in that like addictive cycle, when you're in that kind of slave to sin mentality, you don't even realize it. And I didn't realize I was under the influence of anger or irritability when she asked it. And then I had to stop myself and I had to go back. And I remember, I remember what the situation was. Um, that I got irritated by, and it was super dumb. I, I really don't want to share because it it's too embarrassing. Um, but it was really, it was super dumb. And then I realized, like, that's just kind of how I operate. That's like this low-level irritation that happens to me, and I'm not fully conscious of it. That's what it means to be a slave. You're, you're getting information, and you don't even necessarily know that it's coming in. You just act according to it. And that's what, that's what Paul is talking about here. And you'll notice in verse 19, he's like, I use this metaphor, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Because he knows the opposite of being a slave to sin, now, now that you've been made new, is to be a slave to righteousness. But he's like, this sounds weird to say like addict to righteousness, you're a righteousness addict. But his point is this, in verse 19, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so he's saying, hey, look, I understand the slave cycle, this addictive cycle. I get it. And this, this is the way that you once lived, but now you are free to live differently. Now you have a choice. You have the freedom to choose. You can break that cycle, that addictive cycle, that downward spiral of emotionality and pattern and obsession and fixation. You can break it because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Because you've been baptized with him and you've been given new life, you are no longer in bondage to that cycle, to that pattern. And you know what? I, can I just say, that is like the best news. <laughs> that is the best news. That is the best. That's the best thing about being a Christian. Yes, I know we get eternal life and eternal life is awesome, but the manifestation of eternal life is that you are no longer a slave to sin and you are a slave to righteousness. You are no longer a slave to that addictive cycle anymore. And that's true for you today. And it doesn't mean you won't feel it anymore. It doesn't mean you won't fall into it anymore, but that's not the normative experience of what it means to be a Christian. You've been set free. And so what I want to spend the rest of the time doing is just kind of examining what it means to live in that kind of freedom, right? And I think what's interesting is that, and I think this is true for most of us, as you become a Christian, a lot of times you actually feel like your life is getting worse before it gets better. And the reason why you often feel like your life is getting worse or you're more of a sinner than what you expected is you're now becoming aware of how you were a slave to sin. Right? Like, just like when Judy, but just like when my wife asked me that question, is why were you so irritable? I had this growing awareness oh, shoot, that's how I live. I'm like kind of enslaved. And you can also recognize, like, that is the voice of the Holy Spirit leading you into truth, helping you see how much of a slave to sin you were. Does anyone relate to that? Like, you just realize, you just realize, like, you, you see with clarity, right? 
the way in which you have been in bondage to certain types of behavior and thinking. And that's always going to feel worse. That's always going to feel worse. And you're like, oh my gosh, how come I'm becoming a worse person as a Christian? But the Holy Spirit is just leading you into truth. That's part of the process of growing. And so then what does it say then? This is verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And so let's just start with verse 20. Verse 20. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. I think that word freedom is super interesting in our culture. Everyone loves the word freedom. And freedom, biblically though, always has two aspects to it. You're free from something, and then you're free to something. So you go away from something, and you go towards something. That's the way freedom always operates. Okay, it's, and then the way our culture defines it is you're always free from something. It's the freedom to have any kind of attachment. And that part is true because it says when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. You were free of righteousness. You had no attachment to righteousness. You had no attachment to what was good. So you have freedom from righteousness. And the fruit of that, and when when it uses the term fruit, that's in verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Well, the fruit of that is the consequence. It's the outcome. And I think I've shared kind of in the in the past about working with substance abuse addicts in my in my for, one of my former churches. And that that um, gospel recovery center was called Operation Dawn. And over about ten years, I got to work pretty closely with these guys and become good friends. And what I noticed is that there was definitely an addict mindset. And it doesn't just, it's not just about the chemical. It's not about a chemical dependency. Um, and what I also noticed is that that kind, of, uh, that kind of mindset led to deception. It led to hiding. It led to anger. And the consequence was always some kind of relational breakdown. Relational breakdown. There's always some kind of drama in the house between the guys and sometimes violence. Guys would just get, guys would get kicked out because they were violent to each other. And that's the consequence of patterns of sin is it leads to alienation, it leads to being disconnected, it leads to anxiety and depression and stress. And that whole addictive cycle starts over again. And that's what Paul's talking about here. There's a consequence to being a slave to sin. There's a consequence to being a sin addict. Now in verse 22 it says this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord there's a different outcome when you're a slave to righteousness it has a different consequence in your life and what paul is saying is that this is true of you today this is true of you today so i want to take a second i just want to pause what um what Caleb led us through in the beginning of the service about confessing sin, that is real. That is real. Sin is absolutely a reality of our lives, even as a Christian. And yet there is a greater reality of who you are in Christ. Not just that you're a sinner, but that you are now a saint and that you are no longer a slave to sin. You are a slave to righteousness. And that has a different kind of consequence and fruit in your life. And you can choose. You can choose which way you want to go. And God has, and God has made you a saint. You were able to be a saint. And so one way I've kind of like um, have been 
noticing that in my own life, maybe for the past 10 years, because I've been meditating on this passage, is how I have grown in humility. Isn't that great? Isn't that great when someone gets up and says how they've grown in humility? That's just like the most ironic thing. But I, but I have to say it. I mean, I'm, this, is, this, is, this is legitimately, I think, one way I think I've grown. And I want to say that every pastor has to struggle with pride. Every pastor has to struggle with pride because almost every pastor goes into ministry, if, especially if you chose it. If you go into ministry, it's because you think you can save people. You think you can help people. That's why pastors do it. That's why I became a pastor. I thought I could help people. And so over the years, I've realized, oh, yeah, sure, I might have helped some people. <laughs> but the reality is sometimes I look around and I'm like, man, I don't even know if like there's always like at least five people who are asleep you know, when I'm preaching, right? And then in two days, most of you are not going to remember anything that I said. And so I just have been like in this process where I'm like, you know what? I'm limited as a person. I'm limited as a person. And you know what? Praise God. Absolutely praise God for that. So I've seen the fruit of that. And, and what is the fruit of that? What is the consequence of that? I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still up here in front of you. And you know what? I'm just always wanting to grow. There's just always ways in which I think I can grow. That's one aspect of humility. That's one of the fruit of it. Okay, There's, I never think I've arrived. Um, and so those are some ways you can think about the consequence of what um, being a slave to righteousness look like. Like you now get to create a new pathway of your in your brain. You get to have that reinforced and you get to walk with Jesus and you don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but it does lead to good things. It leads to closeness and intimacy and affection and what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did I get it? Okay, the, all those different, the, the different fruits of the, the fruit of the Spirit. And so here's what I like to do. I, want, I know this passage can be super, super abstract. Okay, and Romans 12 is going to get into some more like, specific ways in which we can live out what it means to be a slave of righteousness. But what I want to do is I want to give you something practical that I think is true for this passage. Okay, for this passage. And so I want to give you what I call a freedom statement. Okay, I want to give you a freedom statement. Okay, and I'm going to put it up on the screen. And that statement is this. I am a slave to Christ alone. I serve no other master. Okay, I'm going to say it again. I am a slave to Christ alone. I serve no other master. Now, I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about, is that true for you? Because if you're a Christian, it is. It is absolutely true for you. It is absolutely true. And yet, I know as you, as you just even read it and think about it, there's going to be things that pop up in your head like, oh man, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. Okay, there's going to be things that pop up in your head and all this evidence of how it's not true of you. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you've been baptized with him in his death and in his resurrection, this is true of who you are. This is your normative experience. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are a slave of righteousness. So can I just invite you then to say it aloud with me? Okay. If this is true for you, could you just say this aloud together with me? You guys ready? I am a slave to Christ alone. I serve no other master. Let's do it one more time. I am a slave to Christ alone. I serve no other master. 
And so here's what we're going to do. I'm just, we're just going to practice this. We're going to practice this. And, and Christy saw me practicing earlier saying these sentences. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak a sentence, and I'll have my hands up. And then once I bring my hands down, it's your chance to say, uh, I am... What is it? I am a slave to Christ alone. I serve no other master. Okay. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you just some fake situations. Because what's going to happen this coming week is that you're going to experience some situations, definitely temptation, probably some sin situations. And you, I want you to speak this to remember. Because it's easy to speak it in church, right? It's easy because we're all, we're all saying it, you know, pastor makes you do something, you do it, right? Um, but there's going to be coming moments where it's going to be difficult for you to say, difficult for you to believe. And I want you to practice that now. Okay, you guys ready? A relative calls, and you straight up lie about how you're doing. I am a slave to Christ alone. I serve no other master. That annoying coworker asked you for a favor, and you ignore him. I am a slave to Christ alone. I serve no other master. You're watching a show, you feel bored and alone, and you know only a tarot boba can fix it. I am a slave to Christ alone. I serve no other master. You know, we could keep going all day, right? We could keep going all day. Hope you get the idea. But that's the other sharing prompt. What's the situation in your life in, in the coming week where you want to speak this over yourself? Because this is true of who you are. And we just need to be reminded of who we are. And again, I want to tell you that this is not just a label. This is actually substantively who you are. This is who God has made you to be and has released you to be because of what he sacrificed on your behalf. And so let me just share one more um, story as I'm thinking about this. We're going to be singing a song called um, No Longer Slaves. And in that song, um, it talks about no longer being a slave to fear. And I think about Israel wandering through the wilderness, they had just escaped out of Egypt. They were slaves. This nation was enslaved in Egypt. And now they are wandering through the wilderness. They're no longer slaves, but they, they kind of act like slaves. They kind of act like slaves in particular to fear. They're afraid about dying. They're afraid about starving. They're afraid about um, dying of thirst. Um, they want to go back. They want to go back to slavery. And yet the message throughout the book of Exodus, which chronicles Israel's wandering in the, in the wilderness is like, God is like, I am here. I am here with you. You are no longer a slave. And so what I want you to recognize is that when you're a, when you're a slave of righteousness, you are a saint. That's what it means to be a saint, that you are a slave to God and you can't help but be righteous because that's what a saint is. A saint doesn't, can't help it. They're just righteous. That's just how they live. That's how they operate. Okay, And I want you to remember that. And that what it means to be a saint is a, you're also a beloved child of God. You're no longer a slave to fear. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you have given us the truth, and the truth will and has set us free. And so, Lord, would we today live in confidence of that freedom? Lord, we're going to face challenges in this coming week where we are tempted to believe against it when the enemy wants to lie to us and say, you're, you know, you're actually a slave to sin. That's how you're behaving. Lord, would your spirit help us recognize those moments? Would your spirit lead us into truth? And would your spirit help us in that moment recognize that we are no longer slaves to sin? but we are slaves to righteousness. Even after we sin, we recognize that we are still saints because of what you've done on our behalf.
We pray this in your name. Amen.